NATO will still stand. And chances are, if they attack Estonia or another one of those countries, the same response will be given if Ukraine uh, is still standing. We have a debt of honor to the Ukrainians who are fighting and fighting hard. Every man, woman, and child who is still in country is fighting and fighting hard. And as such, as Americans who believe in what we believe in, we have we are duty bound and honor bound to our founding documents and our national philosophy to provide assistance. It is also in our strategic interest to provide assistance as we are continuing to grind down Russia. However, we need to be very careful about not being too grandiose in some of our statements about how the future of the world relies on what happens in Ukraine. It does not. It sets a horrible precedent. Yes, it will potentially alter things for the next five years, but it will not change the world. That does not absolve us of our responsibilities as the United States. But when we start making such grand statements and we start alienating our allies and the people in these countries that we want to win over, all we're doing is shooting the, the cause in the head. And 200 MLRS are not going to make a difference if they're not being allowed to fire into Russia to damage some of those supply lines. So I think we need to ground ourselves in realism a little bit more and adjust fires on exactly who we are targeting and what we are targeting. And again, I preface that in understanding exactly where this comes from and understanding just the absolute love of country that is prompting uh, so many of the great speakers that I've enjoyed listening to, such as Alex. And uh, with that, I'll yield the floor to probably take a considerable amount of uh, counter battery. Good morning. I don't think that there's any, any fault at the logic as such at all. I oh, don't think that there's any may, fault at it. May, may I? Yeah, yes. I don't think go that ahead, there's actually, any sorry. fault with the logic. The logic is quite clear. It's actually... <clears throat> And if you think it through, consequentially, you end up with the same kind of statement which Sir Britt has so deliberately uttered much earlier. I don't know to what extent you were listening at that point in time, Thanos, but um, in all so many different words, he said the same thing. French have their own national calculus, and we have to deal with it, as we always have to do. The Germans are a little bit different, and they need a bit more, shall we say, pressure. Um, I think let's stand it at that. I don't think that uh, we need to make grandiose statements. I do think, however, that there's a high likelihood that uh, if Ukraine were to be denied support, which it isn't, because Ukraine is being supported, but if uh, the support were to be delayed further and not the weapons delivered, which are sensible, and there's a lot of them, that would lead to a disaster uh, in Eastern Europe and would uh, only invite more despair, more trouble. This does not necessarily change the global calculus for democracy, but it would set a significant precedent which cannot be allowed to occur. That's the that's pretty much the only point where I would see this being more explosive than many other things. But you're truly right about one thing, and this has to be highlighted. At no point in time has anyone here, other than maybe Gunny and me, in a very, very spirited, late-night conversation, I think, Thanos, you've listened to them from time to time, when we've mocked our, each other and some of our fellow NATO soldiers, but at no point in time has anyone in any shape or form denigrated or derogated or uh, defamed those who have given their lives in Helmand province 
those who have given their lives for other NATO missions, including the French, of course, and the French Foreign Legion, we would never do that because they are all warriors and we treasure them just like we treasure Roman. So there's no, no disagreement in that regard. There is often enough a lot of emotion here. Sometimes this leads to <clears throat> exceptional statements, and I understand that uh, this is not helpful. It's not conducive. One thing I've learned from my Ukrainian friends here over the years is that being pragmatic and being productive is important. It is so funny that this is essentially a very classic old school, yeah, I don't know. It is very much ingrained in what is today the Anglosphere. It's very much ingrained in the, in the American spirit and tradition. It was once, I think, the leading character in certain parts of Northern Europe and definitely in Germany. But I see it every day all across Europe today still. And I see it every day in the unity of the populations of Europe who are, to a large extent, completely and utterly bereft of any understanding why this Russian colonial regime would do it, uh, other than that it's completely inhumane and that they are not in support of it. There is a vast majority of those, what, close to 470 million people we can count here in this region who do stand against this. So let's focus on that. I think we're not too far apart. Gunny. May I ask a real quick? But, Sorry, but 15 yes, seconds. Yes, yes please. Um, follow up, guys. Just a second. Um, I just want to say that often you know, a country is used as a shorthand for a government. Um, say, when people say Germany, what they mean is Schultz, and Schultz's cabinet, and not really the German people. The German people themselves, by and large, uh, you know, uh, complain about exactly the same stuff. Uh, I don't think anybody's spoken against, say, the Bundeswehr. Uh, but many people have indeed spoken against the decisions that the Chancellor has been making. And, uh, let's say finding the, the utility calculus that has been made by certain governments, such as Schultz's, uh, has been um, done wrong. Um, let, let's go to, to Gandhi first and then to Gafteli. Good point. Yeah, let me follow up. Um, I, I, I do respect uh, and uh, I am all for Western unity and free world unity and... Uh... Alex, Alex, sorry, but Dorman said Ghani because Ghani had his hand up before. If you don't mind, you can follow up right after. Is that okay? Okay. Thank you. Ghani. Thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, yeah, look, sorry, I'm going to have to fundamentally disagree. Um, I think us in Europe probably have a slightly different take uh, sometimes um, from uh, Americans in that it's been a good few hundred years since Americans have had unwanted visitors. Um, in Europe, we tend to view things a little bit differently because we come from countries that if not have, if haven't been um, directly subjugated under the boot um, of, of fascism, they've um, gone it alone and stared at um, the oncoming horror a few miles across the channel. Um, I think the excuse that, uh, well, the Americans and the French were, were in Afghan um, maybe worth looking at some of the commitments they made and some of the commitments countries like, oh, I don't know, the UK made, because I guarantee that we bled harder, faster, lost more men and women and invested more gold and deployed to the real kinetic, kinetic areas than um, other countries in Europe. And I think that gives the Brits um, a, a little bit of right um, to kind of look across the channel and say, really? You know, this will fundamentally change our lives in Europe. It might not change your life if you're 3,000 miles away, but I absolutely promise you that 
when we're having to deploy multiple battle groups into Europe, when we have permanent RAF squadrons, uh, more squadrons in rotation, when we are increasing defence expenditure at the cost of other things because um, our eastern partners no longer feel secure because Russia won, it will change our lives and it will change things geopolitically because other nations, other dictators will look at our response and they will wonder whether the dice in their hand are worth rolling. That's the problem here. Dictators are are often brutal, um, but they're not stupid most of the time. They're calculating. And if this goes south and Ukraine falls, you will end up fighting America in the Pacific. You will. You'll have us there, but you'll still lose people. So we need to knock this on the head immediately. We need to knock this idea that just because you're not in a military alliance, that you're free game for every swinging dick genocidal maniac who thinks he can just start throwing his weight around. One MRLS will make a difference. Ten will make a difference. Fifty will make a difference. Every bit of kit makes a difference. And I I find it a little bit, I, I don't want to be offensive, I find it a bit disingenuous for people to say, well, you know, the kit won't make that much difference. When men and women are in foxholes now under uh, under IDF, they're cowering down there with with emotions between fear and rage at what's going on. And they're fighting our battle for us. What are we being asked to do here, folks? Provide kit. That's all. You know, it's like, being, it's like supplying the, the boxing gloves to the bloke you want to, to win in the ring. And if we criticise other NATO countries for, for at best lackadaisical and at work complicity in this. Um, absolutely, you call it out. Absolutely. They know these people in charge of these countries know what needs to be done. They are not doing it either for self-interest because um, they've got some kind of dirty secret or something, or they're just not interested in what goes on around them. And NATO looks fractured at the moment. It's not a good look. Some countries are pulling their weight. Some countries are absolutely refusing to for various reasons. So when people like me come up and say, well, I'm not surprised because, oh, look, the French and the Germans again. I'm sorry. They've got track in this before. They do. Look, if it offends you, if you're German or French, no one cares. I care about the bloke who's currently firing his, his weapon system at 60 Russians coming over the hill. That's all I care about. If you don't want that criticism, start writing to your local MP. Start writing to your elected representative. Tell them, my country does not look good. We do not have good optics because some places, some nations are carrying the weight and we are not. And I'm not happy with it because I know what's right. And absolutely, there are millions of French and Germans and Italians say who who know that this is despicable. But sitting there wringing your hands and saying, well, it's it's a government. What can we do? I'm sorry if that's your attitude. You're as good as complicit in it as well. So get writing. If you're in one of these countries or, or hungry, you know, or, or Turkey, state, state it. Don't just sit there and expect the rest of us to go, well, you know, time will tell and let's not... Let, because I, I'm sorry, but we all um, paint the Russians as a society in the same colours, don't we? Yeah, we don't. Every time someone comes up on here and says it's not the Putin, it's, it's not the Russians, it's the Putin government. What do you all do? You all jump all over them. Rightly so. So when a, a nation state in the West, a democratic government fails in, it, in its duty, jump all over them too. Don't, don't be two-faced about it. Call it. 
either either come up on here and we all agree that it's not the Russians, it's the Russian government, or we call it out across the board. Um, and, you know, if that's going to get me in direct fire as well, <laughs> I, I, I'm quite OK. Um, just a quick um, yeah, uh, really notice, if, if I could just chuck it in. the uh, For those of you following the tattoo, uh, it's being done free by PKs. I've put it up on my tweet. They're going to do the final design. Uh, and we're on track, and I'll get it cracked as soon as possible. Uh, it will be Roman. His name will be on one dog tag, and Felaine has given me the name of a Ukrainian female combat medic, and um, that young lady's uh, name's going to go on the other dog tag. So we're full speed ahead on it. Uh, anyone who wants to chip in, see me in pain and agony, because it's not in a good place on the arm, um, vote with your wallet, uh, and that would be really appreciated. If you can't afford it, and I know times are tough, and a lot of you have given so much already, just retweet it, share it on Facebook, um, publicise it as much as possible, and we're squared away. Thank you, Troop. Thank you, Gary. Um, let's go to Kafteli, and then uh, we can go onward. Thank you. I'll, I'll try to be very short. Um, with regards to uh, French and Germany helping you, uh, helping America in Afghanistan, that's true. But let's not forget, so did Ukraine, and so did Georgia. Now, in 1943, and then later in 1944, US went there, in Normandy and to liberate France from fascists and communists. So what are we willing or what US is willing to do for Ukraine? I understand they do more than anybody, but this is not sending your blood and Shia to Normandy, you know, to fight and uh, liberate, you know, France. And uh, like how many people have died? But Ukraine is not even the asking this. They are talking about... So, hello, gentle people. Uh, uncrashable as we are. Also managed to get us back up right away. So we will get everybody repopulating the space in just about a few seconds, and then we'll restart. Yeah, and most importantly, please do share and retweet the space as we have just restarted because of the glitch, technical difficulty, whatever that was. Please uh, press share and retweet button. It's on the bottom right of your screen, the blue one. Please share and retweet. If you're on mobile, that's a blue button on the bottom right with a plus sign. Press that, slam that, and uh, it actually helps and is very important since we have just restarted. That said, back to you, Damon and Axel. Thank you, Walter. Kafteli, uh, you're mid-sentence. And then we'll to yeah, let, let, let me finish. Uh, so speaking of Afghanistan, sorry. So speaking of Afghanistan, let's not forget Ukraine and Georgia were also there, even though they were, um, they were there. Um, again, uh, in 43, United States was fighting in, in Europe to liberate Europe. Western Europe, from uh, Nazis and communists. And um, uh, today, nobody is asking uh, any troops, but they are asking for weapons because today Ukraine is fighting for not just for themselves, but for many, many other countries, including Moldovans, including Georgians, including Baltic states, including Finland, maybe, including Eastern Germany, and we honestly do not know where it will stop. I don't think it will stop anywhere until Russia is stopped. It has to be defeated. 
it will only stop when it is stopped because they say themselves that they want the whole world and why on earth we are not believing it that's what they say that's what they declare they are showing you pictures with uh, strategic nuclear missiles attacking florida why don't you buy it they need to be defeated now in ukraine so that the whole world is free and by the way if they are not if the west starts uh, and i'm again i have to talk about macron because nobody else is talking about saving his face but if we are again going into appeasement and saving space of a world criminal well guess what will happen next what will china do what will iran do what will north korea do this will embolden everybody every single you know foe of the free world will be emboldened by thank you Alex. every single one let's uh, we have lots of hands up so let's go to 1776 then we'll go to Brazil, then Nicola. 1776. Merci beaucoup. Uh, so I, I don't want to belabor uh, this too much because there's there's so many great and diverse discussions that I love listening to. Just a couple of quick points. First, the United States of America has under underpinned NATO uh, pretty much since its, except, its inception. We've been paying uh, far more than our share. In fact, it almost caused the dissolution of NATO when former President Trump uh, basically held up Germany and France and told them we're out of Western Europe if you guys don't start paying your fair share. So I, I completely understand that. Right now, uh, only the Eastern European countries pretty much have been uh, meeting NATO uh, defense expenditure obligations and interoperability requirements uh, since joining NATO. Uh, a lot of other countries, uh, including Germany, have only started talking about increasing their NATO spending, but we'll see if it actually happens when it comes time to do the annual and the fit up budgeting. A couple of quick points I would I would make about our World War II experience. And someone made a, a discussion too about well maybe the United States hasn't felt any bombs drop on it for a couple hundred years. Well obviously December seventh, nineteen forty one, we were attacked by the Japanese. That was one of our states being bombed uh, again, uh, he declared war on us the next day. That is what precipitated American involvement in Europe. Uh, despite everything that was going on, we did not have troops on the ground. Uh, we did have, uh, the land lease program going on, which is the exact same program that we are doing right now to support Ukraine. Uh, for those of you who, who, uh, kind of follow policy, it's the exact same instrument of American law and of uh, budgeting that we are using. It's the same one that we did with the United Kingdom and Russia prior to our involvement in that war. So, I, I, again, I, I appreciate what has been said. Uh, I, I think some of the discussions about, you know, fighting for all of democracy and fighting for all of mankind, you don't need to say that. It is enough to say Ukrainians are fighting for Ukrainian sovereignty and their homes and their people who are being slaughtered. That's enough. We don't need to hear like, hey, you know, the sun is going to rise and fall. It's not necessary. It is enough for us as people to say Ukrainians are fighting for their homes 
They're being brutalized. They're being tortured. They're being raped. Yes, all of this is true. We don't have to, you know, then say that it, you know, it's for all mankind. Americans fought for America, okay? Despite everything that was going on with what was happening to the Jews and and the Holocaust and, and everything else, Americans were fighting for America, French for French, the United Kingdom for the United Kingdom. If we saw a uh, death camp, were Americans and Russians and everyone else liberating it? Yes, of course they were. So again, I I don't want to spend another uh, second because I think this point has been, this horse has been beaten to death and then driven over a couple of times with a high quality Ukrainian tractor and then dragged off the battlefield to be resuscitated, slap a new flag on it and then fight against the Russians. So Thank you for uh, listening to my rant, and I will yield. Uh, you guys can bump me down. Thanks. No, wait a second. Thanks, uh, Andy. Now Michelle has the word. Now Michelle has the word if she joined us. Michelle, to you. Um, yeah, just give me a couple of minutes, Walter. I'm just going to collect my thoughts on this. I think Mikola Miko- you- might. Um, he's had his he had his hand up before me as well. I th- I would like to hear his contribution. I, I would love to go to Vasil real quick, if that's right. Vasil? Vasil? Please do. Vasil Rabosuk, if you're here with us, you can unmute yourself. If not, then McCall. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, just a quick question. So, um, the Financial Times published an article yesterday about Germany trying to um, basically refinance uh, Gazprom Germany. Um, and I just wanted to ask why they're doing that. Um, I mean, the company it is it is a german company but it's still financed by uh russian kind of uh, state and one of the main problems that not anymore is... Mikola, not anymore the company is not financed by russia anymore it has been it, uh, the company has been seized so even it's 100 proven that there are no russians involved in this and uh, basically that this eight billion or even nine billion deal is is without them the entity has been seized by the german government as part of the seizure of the asset the entity is currently not under russian control anymore this is the also the precondition for kfw the credit to provide funding so that the entity can actually coordinate the spot purchases which is it is which it is required to make in order to satisfy the the gas provisioning. It's a significantly more complicated deal than some uh, journalists are currently trying to make out. Okay, sure. Amazing, Axel. That's what I wanted to hear. Thank you. For sure, no, it's okay. And if you want, I can provide you more detail on it. There will be a press conference tomorrow about it. Yes, please do. Sure, with pleasure. Thanks, Nicola. Uh, Michelle? Um, yes, uh, this is a question for Thanos. Um, I was wondering what you understand Russia's role to be in global geopolitics, and especially as it relates to democracy um, and also the, I guess, yeah, Western democracies, if you could give me an answer on that. Oh, he's a listener now. I think he broke himself down accidentally. Um, 1776, if you heard that, you can jump back up. Uh, if you can't, maybe it's best if we don't clog up dead horse necessarily. Um should we should we pause on this for a little bit? So, so the argument is pretty straightforward. Uh, it's the same old beaten dog. It's not the U.S. fight, yada yada. Well, the problem with that logic is pretty simple. It's not the U.S. fight until it is, and when it is, 
from that point of view, it bits you in your ass so hard, then you will regret this decision way, way more than everything else in your life. It's been the case every single time in the history, if you know the history of the United States of America. Simple as that. I'd like to add also that um, I think there are a lot of countries, especially Western ones, who believe that if they think they're not fighting with Russia, then Russia won't be fighting with them. Um, I think they fail to appreciate that Russia has always been fighting with them and undermining their democracies, um, influencing their leaders, and um, triggering things, um, movements, um, policy decisions, etc., that that undermine their their country's sovereignty as well it may be less violent and bloody but it has happened and it continues to happen um i think it's also important to highlight the importance of knowing the history outside of your country's bubble and understanding how other countries affect the way things happen in the world we live in i think it's very ignorant and it's very small-minded and it's very dangerous to think that just because you want to plug your ears and say la 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 and pretend something's not going to affect you, that it's not going to affect you. I hope that also comes back and we can continue the discussion. Yeah, may I just say, Michelle, he didn't say that at all. He has actually, over the past few weeks, proved many times over he's, he's staunch anti-communist, staunch anti-Russian imperialism, and he is a non-isolationist, but a conservative. And he has made it very clear in various regards that his only concern is that he feels, and this was actually the, the reason why it came up. I, I may disagree with him, and I tend to disagree with him on a number of things, but it doesn't matter. His concern was <clears throat> that if we were to not appropriately differentiate between the actions of, of certain governments and their populations on the on the other side, as well as the dedication and brotherhood of those warriors of the French as well as the German army who have given their lives in Afghanistan, by the way, uh, as well. That's what he was uh, leading at. And he had a specific, very individual concern, which I do respect. I don't have to agree with everything else, but I don't think that uh, there was this concern which you just highlighted, which I would subscribe to if it, if it were an isolationist. But he is, I think Can there's I a misunderstanding. Okay, I'm I'm happy to listen back to the audio. Sure, but, you should, um, because from, the transcript but, I have already. Okay, and good. I was there when he said it. It's, it's oh, me. I know, I was it, listening. It, it, good, me too. Yes, so, but what I gathered from what he said, um, it does, doesn't quite fit with what um, your interpretation of it. Um, and I'm not arguing with, with his past statements. I, I, I and I think that, um, the fact that there were so many people who came up and still have their hands raised to address the points he raised. I don't think I'm the only person who interpreted what he said in the way I did. So, I think you um, are, and specifically so, and, and that's why I was saying it's a misunderstanding. I, the points which Gunny made, which are absolutely correct, and where he disagreed with uh, Thanos' uh, general interpretation, I agree with too. I, I'm, uh, Gunny and I see the same thing, that from a European perspective, the risk is bigger to democracy and freedom posed by Russia in Ukraine than it seems from the very far away. But at the same time, Thanos made it very clear to him uh, by, uh, by his mm -hmm. words to us that... Uh, 
It's like in Jerry Maguire, you had me at X, okay? You had me at hello. He already said it's completely enough that Ukraine is under attack for him to support it. He just went back to that position and made it very clear. I think there's a misunderstanding here. All right, let's uh, park. I'm just trying now. to build a bridge because I think you're pushing for the same result, that Ukraine becomes free. Good. So let's park it for now and let's move on. Winks, then uh, I believe Blake, Mark... Richard, and we'll move on. Wings to you. Yeah, sorry, Walter. I, I just want to mention something. Um, I, I think also probably all of us could think a little bit carefully um, when we say things. Okay, I get, I get the need to differentiate between governments and people. I also get the need to differentiate between countries and NATO. And if someone pops up and says um, NATO is consistently underspent, whilst on the one hand I can agree with it, I would also respectfully point out the 452 British servicemen and women who were killed in Afghan um, and how many we're losing every single month to suicide um, post-conflict. Um, there's lots of cost, isn't there? Um, money is one thing, and I agree with that. But I absolutely assure the gentleman, the UK in NATO has paid its share in blood um, as much as uh, I believe one of the countries that... Um, also top limits with the Danes, simply because they're a small population. We all paid, all right? Not in money, but trust me, we paid. Much appreciated, and thank you for the comment. I agree with you. Dominic, did you have the order of play? Um, actually, I think that Miladio has been uh, waiting for since the previous space for a particularly long time. I think Miladio and Blake... I have. Thank you. Thanks, Dominic. Um, okay, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yes. excellent. Uh, first of all, I, I'm really, really sad to hear about the um, the death of Romans. Uh, our terrible, terrible blow. Um, and um, you know, we we can all rest that um, he died a, a, a hero. So um, yeah, sorry to really sorry to hear that. Um, so I come at at this space from two separate areas. I'm I'm half French, half British. Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of alluding to some of the stuff that 1776 and Alex mentioned around the, the, the kind of attacks on France, Macron. Um, so first thing, first thing to say is um, I'm very proud of the support Britain has given, and um, you know a, a proud uh, Britain like like Wings has is, is, made that really clear that, that Britain has has paid in blood and given lots and lots of support. What I'm less proud about uh, Britain is that uh, we've hardly taken in any Ukrainian refugees and we've made it almost impossible for refugees to come across. So whilst I'm proud on one side, I'm ashamed on another. And uh, that flips when it comes to France. Um, France has a very good military, arguably the strongest in Europe. Uh, it has some very, very good military hardware, um, some of the best in the world. And uh, whilst they're doing something, I would really, really hope that they, they start doing more. Um, I think the attacks on Macron have been, I think there's an awful lot of kind of inter-EU bashing going on with, um, and we, we've covered this uh, ad nauseum before around Eastern Europe and and the rule of law. And I think Ma Macron has not played the media very well at all. Um, I think some of the support France has given has gone under the radar completely. Um, and he's only now wised up to it. Um, but I think some of the attacks about appeasing 
Russia are, are, are absolutely wrong. I think dialogue has to be left open. I think he's actually probably doing most of this at, at the direction of the Ukrainians, keeping dialogue open with Russia. The comment about um, not humiliating Russia, I think dates back to you know the, the French experience of war. And France has had more experience of war uh, of serious war than virtually any other nation, given World War One, World War Two were, were, you know, considerably played out on its territory, and and my family suffered uh, as well. Um, you know, up the road, uh, uh, up the road from where I'm from, a hundred men and women and men and boys were hung by the Germans in front of their families, mothers seeing their sons being um, hung up. So France come up from from a, a, a place where abject humiliation. Um, of Germany after the first first world war uh, really caused some some serious issues and and arguably you know um, certainly gave some some um, uh, you know reasons for the rise of of Hitler I think the other thing I'll, and I'll shut up in a second the other thing I'll say is can we stop bunching Germany and France together because France has done you know has sent a lot of military equipment, not as much as I want, and I want to do more, but it's on a completely different scale to, to Germany. And it seems that Macron and Schultz are being just lumped together for criticism. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the criticism for Macron is unfair. He's keeping the communication channels open. He's to, you know, if he, if he was playing a, a, a a uh, popularity context, he wouldn't be doing any of this, and I'm, I'm almost certain a lot that you know discussions are around helping Ukraine. So he was criticised for talking to Putin the other last week, and in fact they were talking about freeing the um, the Astaval prisoners. So um, yeah, I just wanted to to say my piece. Um, I'm proud of what Britain has done. I'm also proud France has taken in hundreds of thousands, well, over nearly 100,000 Ukrainian women and children, uh, which Britain hasn't done. Anyway, I'll shut up and I'll, um, I'll let the rest of you have a go at me. All right. Thanks. Uh, let's go to Blake, Denmark, and Richard. Blake? Yeah, I just have one point and then it's unrelated um, to the topic. Uh, just purely economically, um, Ukraine has a lot of natural resources, the fifth largest titanium producer, seventh largest in coal, sixth largest in iron ore. They have a huge deposit of rare earth elements. Um, they're the largest uranium producer in Europe. Um, we've already seen what's happened with the wheat. Um, 20% of the world's graphite. They have all the oil and natural gas. So if Russia takes control of that, they're going to weaponize it against the rest of us. They're going to drive more um, Middle Eastern and African uh, people into Europe on purpose to destabilize us, which is going to destabilize political situation in the U.S. It's going to have worldwide effects. The issue I take is he said it won't affect the world, basically what happens in Ukraine, and it absolutely will. Um, besides that point, I wanted to ask um, about the Lloyd Austin statement. It, do you know anything more on that? All I saw briefly was that he um, it said the U.S. was ready to give Ukraine enough to basically beat back Russia. Um, was there anything more with that as far as you guys know? Actually, I trust you follow every Lloyd Austin statement. I don't think there was more. I think it was just a, a reaffirmation of the commitment that he's made previously. No, it sounded like it was ready to step it up to actually beat Russia back and not just give, you know, enough to kind of maintain. So, 
I, I okay. think he was asked a question um, in regards to Ukraine saying that they needed a thousand more howitzers. And I think they threw out a number of, you know, a hundred high Mars. I don't know the specifics, um, but he was asked to comment on that. And his response was just an affirmative statement saying uh, vaguely that the U.S. was willing to uh, support Ukraine and whatever it needed to defeat the Russian invasion. So he didn't specify any particular number. He just kind of made it an affirmative statement saying that we were with them until they won this. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, Mark, then Richard, then Portland. Yes, hi, Doman. Thank you. Um, one of the beautiful things about this space is that, uh, in fact, I was bragging to a friend about it this morning, telling her about it, is that I can get online and I have somebody from Poland narrating, moderating, somebody from Germany, somebody from Canada, I have a couple guys in England that are, are military specialists. And I think the underlying theme of the space is if we are to help Ukraine get through this horrible struggle, it has to be through a collective, a collective of nations. I know there's been a lot of criticism levied, you know, against Germany and France and whatever it is. But I think that criticism was more, more of, of the of the kind of we need to press our government representatives there and in the U.S. and in England to, that they needed to do more. I, I think that's where the, the underlying theme is, is press your country's representatives to do more. I, one thing that, especially on the day of hearing about Roman, that, that I need to take severe exception to, I mean, it struck like a, red hot iron on a nerve of what was said um, previously. And that was, I think it was, I mean, a quote that 100 MLRSs isn't going to make a difference in Ukraine. And I think that was probably pointing to maybe Germany not supplying them. If that is in fact true, what are we doing here? I mean, why are we spending time wasting our time and money buying a few drones. It, 100 MLRSs in Ukraine, how many Romans would that save? How many Ukrainian families would that save? It does make a difference, and every little bit makes a difference. So, again, I, I, I'm a bit dumbfounded and saddened by the conversation. Thank you. Don't be. Don't be. It's a discussion. We're trying to... It's the Socratic method. I can only highly advise to continue that going. Uh, the Socratic and, method means that we talk whilst walking, that we can talk and chew gum at the same time, that we cont continuously refine the process and the content and make sure, as you quite rightly said, that we have a coalition of the willing, that we have a better understanding of the limitations as well as the challenges and the needs of what Ukraine needs. Now, just for those people who have not followed this, for all its failures, and there are many um, one thing has to be said, even a lackluster delivery schedule of Germany has not prevented it from not sending um, 100,000 hand grenades, 2,000 mines, 5,300 anti-tank mines, about uh, now 23 million rounds of ammunition, 
and a lot more than that. There's tons of arms being sent both above and below the radar. And Germany does a lot, but it does not do what it can. That's the thing which we're criticizing and what it should do because it has the capacity. Germany being one of the leading industrial nations and one of the leading industrial nations in Europe is able to do more. That is what we always appreciate so much about our British friends. That is what we appreciate so much, especially from the United States of America, as well as Canada in that matter. And let's not forget our Australian and New Zealand friends, because they're doing extraordinary things when it comes to intelligence support and everything else. But uh, if you then go to the other nations, there are some who have disproportionately given from what they can uh, and what they have available, and that's the Baltics, that's the Poles, but also the Finns and uh, our friends in uh, Sweden <laughs> to that extent. The Norwegians can do a bit more, and I, I think they will. So if you go through the list of this, you're absolutely right. It showcases that there is a coalition, and this coalition is even beyond European. There are more than 40 nations by now. We have to strengthen that. We have to strengthen this approach. And I think then Ukraine has a better chance of winning. And of course, we have to make sure that those who are stronger economically and stronger in terms of their weapon systems, industry capacity, and who have a bit more can give a bit more. And those who have a lot more should do a lot more. Germany is amongst them. That's what we're criticizing the government and that is what we're trying to highlight this. And by the way, if you compare the amounts given, and Germany exceeds France by far. But that is how it should be. Thank you, Axel. Uh, Richard, finance, Ryan, Fateli. Yep, thank you, um, Doman. Good day to everybody. Um, I'm calling from the States. Uh, first, I just want to extend my sympathies with regard to Roman. I heard him speak once, and I remember in that conversation, somebody asked him, I think, about his plans after the war if I'm not mistaken, and his response, paraphrasing, um, was, was something to the effect of not making plans that are more than 48 hours out, something to that effect. So we, we, will, we will remember him for sure. Um, you know, I want to touch, because I'm, I guess I'm from the States, I, I want to touch on some of the comments made by 1776. I feel like I have to. Um, I, it made me uncomfortable, his position. It was primarily because it was too U.S. centric. If we were not in an international forum and then it, to me, it probably not that I would have agreed with all the points, but it would have been more appropriate, I think, than in this room. Um, he hit Alex, who, who, you know, spends a lot of time, and makes a lot of contributions in the space uh, for being critical, you know, to some of the allies. And then in a subsequent statement, uh, he was critical of some of those same allies for uh, their financial shortcomings with regard to NATO. And I, I just feel like that whole conversation, there's no place for it today in the midst of what's going on. Um, that uh, I'm proud of what, you know, the, the, the members of NATO are doing. I'm proud of what the UK is doing and what Poland is doing. And even some of the ones that aren't doing as much as they could, there's still time for them to turn that around. And we're all we're all hopeful that's going that's going to happen. Uh, so, um, you know, we look at it. We look at Schultz, and and we're all, you know, we're all wanting more. Um, there's time to turn that around. But you know, back to points that were made before. If if when you make a commitment to Ukraine, who's fighting, you make a commitment to your allies, who are depending on you. 
when you don't deliver, right, that's many orders of magnitude, orders of magnitude worse than never making the commitment to begin with. So um, I think it's time, you know, he's making a trip out um, along with Macron and Super Mario, as I heard he was called yesterday to Ukraine, I think on Thursday of this week. And it'd be wonderful if following that, uh, you know, that those meetings that there was there was a larger a, a large announcement made with regard to commitments of, of all sorts. So that's what we're all hoping for. Uh, gentleman earlier was speaking about some of the contributions made by France and Macron, and I appreciate uh, you you calling those out because I was not aware of some of that stuff. And we in the states tend to probably lump Germany and France together more than we should uh, out of ignorance. And uh, so I, I very much appreciate those comments as well. So that's all I had, everybody. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, moving on to goodness, finance, Portland rank of Delhi, I think. Finance. I heard someone mention the, uh, the economics of the situation. Um, I did appreciate that it was in the context of if, uh, God forbid Russia wins, they will just use that to have more leverage because at the end of the day, the rest of the world needs uh, uh, hard and soft commodities, which they would have more control of because a lot of them are in eastern Ukraine. Um, that said, just wanted to make the note and mention that this war is not about um, geopolitical assets. This is a cultural war. This is Ukrainians are not acting like Russians and submitting to the great Russian state. They're trying to live with democratic freedoms, human rights, values that are European. They will tell you themselves they're fighting for European values. Just listen to any of the amazing speeches by the leader of the free world, President Vladimir Zelensky, to hear what their values are and who they support. And I think that brings the, uh, the idea home in a very clear fashion. And Russians uh, don't support any of these things. And that is the, at the end of the day, that more than anything else is what is driving their, you know, revanchist imperial war of genocide, right? They started this war with tanks that had two rounds in the cannon and parade uniforms in the back because they really thought that Ukrainians would embrace just being Russian. And boy, were they wrong. So, Anyway, Slava Ukraini, and move to the next guy. Hello, Slava. Portland. Uh, yeah, thank you. I've been uh, taking notes as I go so that I can uh, remember the points I need to make. So at the moment, the plan, uh, the plan is only to supply Ukraine with eight multiple rocket launchers. But uh, in reference to a comment made by a gentleman earlier about um, uh, you know, how many missile launches make a difference. The first thing to understand is that every time a new weapon system has been introduced into Ukraine, the way that this has been done is first you send a relatively small batch with extremely well-trained personnel um, basically to see how it performs and see if it's actually as useful as we think it's going to be. And, you know, we can all pretty well make some pretty good, solid, educated guesses about how well any given system's going to work. But the proof is in the pudding. Uh, the original batch 
of uh, M777s was only eight guns. And now we're talking about 20 guns a week. You know, we're, we're, we're throwing remarkably large numbers into this uh, as we figure out where we can afford to draw down, uh, where we can't, how fast can replacements and backfills be, uh, be sourced, so on and so forth. So I would entirely expect that if M270 and HIMARS perform as well as I expect them to perform, um, we're going to see a lot more of them. Uh, the other thing is you've got to look at the scale of what is being asked for, because 100 M270s or HIMARS is eight divisions, eight divisions worth of artillery. Um, divisional artillery is usually uh, something like 12 multiple rocket launchers and uh, 24 to 36 uh, tube artillery. So the 100 HIMARS that they are, the the Ukrainians are are requesting. Actually, I think the ideal number they asked for was uh, was three hundred. Well, the U.S. only has four hundred fourteen in inventory, so a hundred of those is, you know, just under a quarter of the Americans' total inventory, and it is eight divisions worth of artillery. And if you can look at a weapon system that can put two hundred pounds of high explosive with a multi-mode fuse uh, within three meters of the target and say, that's not a war-winning weapon, then I'm just going to say, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. You just, you like, you should sit at the back and be quiet. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think... But we agree on this, right? Portland, we, we, we always agree on this. Wings, Gunny, CJ, you and I, we, we agree on this matter. This is game-changing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm going to uh, stand on my authority as as a uh, soldier and an engineer here, and I'm going to say if you disagree with that point, you're just flat wrong. You know, um, I. Uh, and I think there was a, another point I needed to make, but I can't remember it, so I'm going to shut up now. Okay, Portland. I'm going to make a quick argument off the back of what you've said half a second, half a minute ago saying, you know, a hundred would be eight divisions and this is really game-changing stuff and it's a war-winning weapon. See, the argument I would want to make here is, goodness, send, send 200 then, get this over with, and then America can get them back later. I know it's I a silly argument to be making, but I, you know, I just think that maybe it's the best thing to do then. And right. I mean, what I would really like to see if these weapons... If there's not some peculiar environmental factor that kind of makes them a little bit difficult to use or something like that, which is kind of the only way I can see this shaking out and having them not be really decisive weapons. I am looking at the situation, certainly from the British point of view, and saying, well, we have 44 of these in, in inventory. Um, we have lots and lots of different ways to kill uh, hard targets and knock out artillery. We've got uh, typhoons that can carry uh, 18 brimstones each, you know, just for one example. So I would be of the opinion that what we should do is just take the British Army's entire inventory of M270s and just ship them straight to Ukraine. I would be okay with that 
as a plan. Um, but to come back briefly to uh, the the first point I was making, uh, there was a gentleman, I think, uh, asking about Lloyd Austin's statements. I read Lloyd Austin's statements as being a uh, a reaffirmation that Ukraine has something of a blank check, something close to a blank check. And as soon as we get these weapons in theater and see how they perform, we will uh, we will probably be sending a lot more. Yeah, that's a very good point because we, we discussed this yesterday in various formats and uh, day before, both on and offline. Um, there's a couple of things in the lead up to tomorrow's meeting which seem to be obvious. And one is that more M777s are coming. Colombians who were expecting to see, so to say, a supportive donation obviously seem to be waiting a little bit longer and will almost likely get more of these M777s from the National Guard as opposed uh, to the Marine Corps. So there is a likelihood that more of the Marine Corps M777s will be seen soon on a plane near you. Then as to MLRS, the M30A1s, M30A2s and the M31s are seemingly in good supply still and may actually end up there in what you described uh, as a in divisional capacity. The question is whether the MGM 140s, the Atacams, are going to be sent. That is the real question, I think, because they have a different reach. What would you think? Uh, me? Um, I, I would really like to see the Atacams uh, sent. I haven't read anything indicating that there is an appetite to do that. And I am not totally certain that they are exactly what Ukraine needs right now. Uh, then the Wallace only... said 18 would come. I'm sorry? Then Wallace said that 18 would 